Welcome to the Milk and Motherhood podcast, where we're having an ongoing conversation about breastfeeding, postpartum, parenthood, the challenges these can present, and the hope we have for overcoming them. I'm your host, Therese Dansby. I'm a registered nurse, international board-certified lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. I believe that navigating the rough waters of early motherhood with wisdom, grace, and humility can grow each of us into the mothers we long to be. As always, I want to remind you that this podcast is for informational purposes only, and this isn't meant to replace individual medical advice. Today we are talking about strength training postpartum, a weirdly controversial topic, but today's guest has been really pivotal in my postpartum recovery with my third child. I was really active as a kid. I played lots of sports in high school. I rode my bike across Nebraska seven times. I played volleyball in college. I ran half marathons after college and generally lived a very athletic lifestyle pre-kids. Of course, getting back into those kinds of hobbies looks different after babies for a variety of reasons, including recovery, obviously, time constraints, energy, money, changing priorities, all those things. I eventually managed to find a new normal after my first child was born and then again after my second. However, for a number of reasons, including iron deficiency, low mineral status, um, things we'll potentially discuss in a future episode, I found myself struggling with debilitating fatigue in 2020. We had also moved to a new state that March, and when everything shut down, so did my activity level. When I had a baby at the end of 2021, I was the most sedentary I'd ever been in my life. Now, realistically, I was literally chasing after three kids and almost never sat down. But we all know that's a little bit different than actually moving your body, taking deep breaths, activating the right muscles building new patterns, and things like that. On top of that, my youngest went through about a six-month phase of sleeping in one-hour increments and being awake screaming inconsolably for hours every night. He still doesn't sleep through the night, but if you want to hear a little bit more about our sleep journey, you can listen to episode 12 where Taylor Kulik and I talk about biologically normal infant sleep and sleep red flags. It turned out my son was struggling with food allergies and... um, a specific reflex response called Sandifers, which almost looks like a seizure, but isn't. Once we eliminated all of his triggers, he slept more normally. Although, of course, like I said, not through the night. But anyways, around 10 months postpartum, I found myself so depleted, so tired. I was sore all the time. And honestly, I didn't even want to do something as simple as carry my baby up the stairs. I'd kind of fallen for the messaging that you need to replenish and rest like indefinitely until everything is perfect before working out again. But the more I rested, the worse I felt. When I reached out to Adina asking if I could safely do her program while not sleeping through the night, she gave a resounding yes. And again, that's not sleeping through the night in like a normal baby sense and not necessarily what we were going through at the peak of our like crisis mode. But you'll hear us talk more about that in today's interview. Adina Rubin is a strength coach, a functional nutritional therapist, podcaster, and mom of three. And I was almost done with her 12-week kettlebell program when we recorded this chat. We're going to dive into all the juicy details of why and how to get strong again after having a baby. But first, today's episode is sponsored by the Nourished Mother Bundle, 
My colleague and I launched an online breastfeeding and postpartum course in 2022, and we got so many people saying they wish they'd had this for their first baby, and maybe they couldn't justify buying a breastfeeding course for subsequent babies, but they still wanted more postpartum resources. So the Nourished Mother Bundle was born. We pulled our favorite PDFs from the course and bundled them into one easy download for moms in any busy stage of life. The bundle contains a full postpartum freezer meal plan with recipes, grocery lists, and prep day instructions for 12 freezer meals and two postpartum snacks. A postpartum cookbook with 24 deeply nourishing, easy to digest, postpartum friendly meals that are easy to make once you're out of freezer meal and back in the kitchen. I know I have several postpartum cookbooks that require um, obscure ingredients and cooking methods that I'm not familiar with, and this is not that. This is meant to be very realistic. The bundle also includes a fruits and roots and proteins cheat sheet for quick snack and meal planning, as well as a nervous system checklist with lots of resources for in-the-moment emotional support as well as how to find more postpartum-specific help if you're struggling. The entire bundle is a steal at $25, but podcast listeners can get an additional 15% off this and my other digital resources with the code PODCAST15. That's PODCAST15. You can find the link in the show notes, but now let's get to this conversation with Adina. Today I'm here with Adina Rubin, and I am so excited to talk about getting strong in your postpartum body, which is kind of new to me, honestly. So welcome, Adina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Could you introduce us for anyone who doesn't know you and your family? Yes. So my name is Adina. I am a strength coach. I think that's like the thing that we're here to talk about. So (laughs) yeah, I primarily train my clients with kettlebells now and we'll get into a little bit more, I'm sure about why that is. I am married to my husband, Donnie. We've been together since like 2009. Where are we now? It's a long time. Um, I've doing math. (laughs) Yeah. Math is hard. And we have three kids. I have my daughter is five and a half. My son is like three and a half. And I just had a baby five months ago. So that little boy is five months old. That's wild. It does feel like he was just born. So congratulations again. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. How have you been adjusting to three? Man, people don't tell you about three. (laughs) Three is a whole different thing. I feel like they do, but you're like, that's not going to be me. That's yeah, what I thought. No, I, <laughs> I feel like no one told me. <laughs> they tell you in a cute meme way. They're like, yeah. here's this meme about how crazy it is to have three kids. And you don't realize it's actually true. So yeah. Did you see that article recently? That was like Marie Kondo gave up yes. on tidying up after having three kids. I was like, My husband out. <laughs> just told me about that this morning. And I was like, yeah, it's three kids. Notice it wasn't after having kids. It was after having yeah. Three kids. If I felt yes. like it was really validating for me though, like yes. <laughs> it's just a different kind of like whack-a-mole game. It, like yeah. with two, like uh, there was some semblance of control, and with three, there's not. Yeah, just let it be. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> let exactly. it run its course. <laughs> like I'm gonna be the one that has to change here. So I love it. Well, thank you for being here with us <laughs> in the crazy. Yeah. Can you talk to us about what capacity in which you work with moms these days? You don't just work with moms, but yeah, I don't just work with moms, but I do mm-hmm. love moms because like 
I feel like, I mean, as you know, there's such an underserved population and it's just so important for moms to be strong. And I feel like there are so many people telling them for various reasons not to be strong, whether that's like, oh, you're not sleeping, so you shouldn't be training or, oh, you have prolapse, so you shouldn't be training. Like there's just so much messaging telling moms to not work as hard in the gym. And we'll obviously clarify what I mean by work hard in the gym, but we're telling them not to work hard in the gym, but then they have a 35 pound toddler that they need to wrangle into a car seat while they're having a tantrum. So like they obviously need to be strong and then they're not getting strong safely in the gym, but they still have these heavy demands in their life. Like that's a recipe for disaster. It's going to hurt to do that and it's going to make you feel weak and it's going to make all of the things that are stress related way worse you know so I just really love helping moms what was the actual question you asked me (laughs) yeah no I was just kind of asking what capacity in which you work with people so you are a strength coach virtually right and you have you have a self-led program as well and they're not directed towards moms, but maybe you're working on a postpartum one also. I am. Okay. I am currently in the midst of putting together my postpartum program. So my signature program is strength training for happy hormones. And that's a 12 week kettlebell program. And it's specifically designed to help women who have struggled with their hormones, their metabolism, their thyroid, autoimmune issues, like women who have been told that they shouldn't be training because of all the stress their body is under, because they're in a healing phase, et cetera, et cetera. And I help these women figure out how to do the leastest and get the mostest out of it just to use the tiniest dose of training that we can that will still move the needle every week and not add too much stress to the body, but make you feel incredible and invincible and strong and like capable of living your day-to-day life. And I'm currently working on a slightly more postpartum specific version of that, where we talk through, you know, from the first week to 12 weeks from then and what you can be doing and how you can be implementing in this very specific season to prep the body to return to wrangling toddlers and the whole deal, considering the pelvic floor, considering how little sleep you're getting and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm excited for that program. And I will say that I am in week 11 of strength training for happy hormones. And I just, you know, you never know with social media and advertising and everybody talking about their program, you know, you're like, is this really the best thing ever? And I will just say that your program is actually the best thing ever. It's one of the better things I've spent money on. Oh my God. I love that so much. And I'm so happy for you. And I want you to share more about your experience because. Yeah. And I I will, I would love to share with you. So I was, (laughs) we can go way back. I was a breech baby. So I always had a hip issue and Mm -hmm. I was a dancer and I was a runner and I loved being outside. I've always been active, always considered myself athletic. When I was pregnant with my first, who's almost nine, I did body pump. So I'm going to list a bunch of things that you're like not a fan of. (laughs) So (laughs) I did body pump, which was my first introduction to weightlifting, which that's great. Like, but yeah, it was a thing. thing. Like, these things have yeah. reasons. Yeah. 
yeah, I needed to feel like I wasn't just walking into the gym and like trying to do a program from scratch, you know? So yes, body work had its place or I mean, body pump had its place. So then I had my first kid and just had a lot of pelvic floor issues, which I'd probably already had, right? With hip and back issues and just didn't realize it was all connected and did a lot of really- Also being an athlete, like athletes- don't realize how much they clench their pelvic floors. Oh my gosh. And I just think like that whole pregnancy, you know, and I was doing, this was a while ago. So pelvic floor PT was just kind of becoming widespread. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the advice was to like do Kegels. So I'm doing Kegels and just making everything worse. And so there was a, I had some prolapse and I was very afraid to go back to body pump or go back to lifting anything. So then I started doing things like Pio and <laughs> bar three, which I do like bar three. I feel like it has its place, at least for me to feel like I'm just moving sometimes. But then honestly, I was kind of out of shape for my second and third pregnancies because I was always yeah. afraid to like go back to lifting and I could sense I couldn't really hinge well. And PT helped a lot, but it never really got me to a place of like functioning in different movements, yeah. if that makes sense. So, so I was kind of intimidated, like kettlebells talking about lifting heavy when I haven't lifted in seven or eight years. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I came into this with. And I was like, you know what? I spent the money on it. I'm going to do it. And I was about 10 months postpartum and I was like, okay, surely this will be okay. And in hindsight, I could have started it sooner because you just, yeah. you ease into it. There was never really a workout where I felt like it was too much on my pelvic floor. I only have a 20 pound kettlebell right now. Although for my birthday, I'm asking for the next size up. So wait, can I tell you that is my favorite thing ever. You have no <laughs> idea how many women tell me that like okay. their birthdays, Christmas, yeah. they like ask for kettlebells. And I'm like, wow, we have done it. This is yes. what they want for their birthday. And yes. Christmas. Like, it's the best. Yeah. And I used to be so scared of it. Like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Like there are kettlebell swings, but that was the only exercise I knew. And I was probably doing them wrong. So, <laughs> so that's my background. And I was worried because I know so much about the pelvic floor and it had been so long since I worked out, but you really ease people into it and make sure that they have the correct form, even virtually, which I was skeptical of, but yeah, that's just a plug for (laughs) your program. Amazing. Um, I'm so happy you had that experience. And I love that you focused on easing into it because I think that's a piece of it that so many people miss. It's like, maybe they have this memory of their experience of lifting weights and then they have all these fears around someone told them that, okay, you have prolapse. Now you can't do any lifting or, okay, you're leaking. You can't do any lifting. You have diastasis. You can't do any lifting. And then their memory of lifting is like the CrossFit wads that they were doing or the intense body pump style, whatever you were doing at that time. And thinking that like defining lifting as the maxes that you were doing before your pregnancy or up Mm -hmm. until the end of your pregnancy, before you got this diagnosis or whatever it was and not understanding that like we can dose these things. And it's all about finding the hardest thing that your body does well and that you can currently tolerate and then progressing gently and slowly from there so that your pelvic floor is learning to respond to that increased load the same way any other muscle in your body is. It's not about jumping back into the loads that you were comfortable lifting because maybe the rest of your body will catch up to that quickly 
but your pelvic floor needs more time and we have to spend the time there and learn to breathe under load and learn the mechanics and learn how to coordinate the pelvic floor as we progress the lifts. And you've heard me say this a million times, but a huge piece of it, especially for athletes is like learning to not be a hero, learning to not push load just because you feel like, oh, but I used to be able to, you know, and we'll get you back there. We have to slow down and let the pelvic floor catch up. Like I find that my moms who have athlete backgrounds, like they are the hardest to slow down because they just want to get back to that place where they feel like themselves in their body. And they feel like they're lifting the things they used to lift. And we have to understand that like, it takes time for the pelvic floor to catch up. So we need to give it that time and really ease back into that process. And I I like that your program breaks down the movements too, because I think I'd become Mm -hmm. such a good baker. Like even with my dancing background, like I could kind of, at least in a group exercise class, look like I was doing what other people were doing, but I would be like, this does not feel right. And so in a sense, it's probably good that I didn't go back to body pump because I knew it didn't feel right, but I just hadn't found a venue in which it did feel right. So even just breaking the things down, because some days I'm like, this is so silly. Why am I doing like one hinge, you know? (laughs) But, But then when you move to like putting the steps together, you're like, oh, that's why because now at all I know how it feels to do it correctly and I'm sure now that you've had that experience of like like you're specifically talking about breaking down the Turkish getup which especially if you have that kind of eye that can watch other people's movements like if you see other people perform Turkish getups on social media it is just like (laughs) heartbreaking (laughs) watching Mm -hmm. how they rush through steps and just like completely missing the mark on all of the little nuggets that we can get from that lift when we break it into pieces and can execute it properly. Yeah, I th- so I think it's important, even though you're not right there watching somebody that you are breaking it down and talking about what it feels like and not just what it looks like. Because I also had a phase of my life where I did a lot of workout videos and yeah, it's like, maybe it looks like what they're doing. Maybe it doesn't, you know? So (laughs) talking about what it's supposed to feel like, I think is really important. Also in a life season where you're kind of, I just want to like leave my body a little bit. Maybe I don't really want to be here right now. So yeah, that disconnect, I just always described that early postpartum is just like feeling like a sack of potatoes and like nothing is connected. And like, how do we start to communicate with the different parts of ourselves? But yeah, this approach definitely facilitates that. Yeah. And I appreciate too that I don't feel depleted because I messaged you my all of my kids have a multiple month long season of only sleeping in one hour increments and it's horrible and (laughs) it's so hard and I know and we'll talk about this more but I know that I couldn't have started it in the depths of that but when I messaged you I think we were back to sleeping in like three hour increments and I kind of said do I need to wait till he's sleeping or do I not and you said something to the extent of not being strong is also a stressor on your body and you have to kind of weigh if you want to talk about that a little bit now you can yeah totally I think this is something that gets so overlooked in the postpartum space is I get that we have told people you need to be sleeping in order to earn your training and There was a time where I believed that because I understood so much about recovery. And I think also a lot of that came from like, I was working in New York city. I was teaching high intensity classes at five in the morning. And in that environment, there are so many people 
addicted to their workouts that if you're being a good trainer and you're trying to slow them down, you need to tell them like, you have to earn these workouts by sleeping enough. But then you get to a place where, again, this population of moms that needs to be strong and there's so much messaging already convincing them that they shouldn't be doing this thing for themselves and you shouldn't be training because it's dangerous or it's this or it's that. And then you go and expect them to execute their day and feel capable of their day when even the things that shouldn't be that heavy for us, like we're putting our you know, we're putting a cast iron pan onto the stove or we're putting our Dutch oven into the oven with our beautiful loaf of sourdough bread in it. And it feels so freaking heavy and it hurts. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that when a load is really challenging for you, but you still need to do it, you use strategies or you recruit muscles that are compensatory patterns and it doesn't feel very good. And it's a stress on the body. And it can make things like pelvic floor symptoms worse. Like if you're going to move that Dutch oven into your oven and it feels really heavy for you and you already have some back of the pelvic floor tightness. So then you start clenching your pelvic floor even more because that's your only way of managing pressure and managing load. And then you try to go about your day and then you're like completely constipated for the next two days and you can't quite figure out why. And it's like, oh, it's because we're utilizing this pattern that is restricting our movements in so many different ways. Or you have this prolapse and then you go to put that cast iron pan on the stove. And now that is like an 80% effort for you or a 90% effort for you. And you have to put so much pressure down on your pelvic floor. And that's a huge stressor. Whereas if you are training safely in the gym and building in slow increments and adding load and increasing load slowly and getting the pelvic floor to respond properly, and then you go to put the car seat into the car and it used to be an 100% effort and now it's only a 20% effort. Like think of how much less stress that is on the body. And so even if we are not sleeping, we still need to be strong. So The magic is, and this is why I built my program so you don't have to figure this out on your own, but the magic is in finding the dose of strength training that you can implement into your week that doesn't shift the recovery stuff. It doesn't shift the sleep stuff too much. It doesn't put more stress on the body. It actually relieves stress from the day, from your life. Sometimes it makes you sleep better too. Sometimes like those three hour stretches are deeper sleep because you've actually used your body that day and you've worked hard and then it makes us better and stronger moving forward. And again, as we continue to build effort in the gym, the effort in the day-to-day becomes easier and easier. And that's so much less stress throughout your week. Yeah, I just agreeing with everything. I was sore all the time. I mean, all yep. the time. Baby wearing, like I love baby wearing, but there's a point where it is uncomfortable and painful to wear my babies. <laughs> just like, oh, why wasn't I doing this sooner? But I mean, my, I don't want to jinx it. We're now on four nights in a row of sleeping through the night. He's almost 15 oh months. <laughs> like if I had waited, you know, and he's my earliest baby to ever do that. So it's like, if I wait until everything is perfect, I would be missing out on so much, you know, and by then they're, yeah, 25 pounds, just your exactly. baby. 
So yeah, we need not to be adding the tantrum. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had we did reach a point before I started this. I'm like not a couch potato, but I by the end of the day, I would make my husband carry him upstairs. Like I just couldn't even yeah. do it one more time. Like, so it has made a big difference. So I'm excited to be talking to you about this because I feel like even as a lactation therapist, a lactation consultant and a postpartum doula, I've had a hard time knowing exactly when to recommend this kind of stuff for moms either, because you also don't need to hurry to quote unquote bounce back, or you don't need yeah. to push yourself when it doesn't feel right. So I like having now this option to refer people to. And I've also noticed, I think this is probably a little bit of a type A athletic background, but I would feel like a workout wasn't even a real workout unless it like kind of ruined the rest of my day. So (laughs) I would just, even after kids, after my first and second, I did eventually reach a point where I could do that. And I do the workout and I'd feel great. And then those stress hormones would wear off and the whole rest of the day, I'm like so tired and grumpy. And I don't feel like that with this program. And I was very pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, that's a really common experience. And many of us have had it too, like just needing to beat the crap out of ourselves to feel like we did something worthwhile. And my goal is always that at the end of the workout, you feel better than when you started, which Mm -hmm. like, and that should last the rest of the day too, right? It doesn't mean like you have are riding that stress hormone high at the beginning, like you said, and then end up on the couch three hours later and can't move. Mm -hmm. But It's all about that dosage again. Like we just want to introduce enough to move the needle so that our body has an opportunity to be like, oh, hey, what's this? Okay, she's doing this now. I guess we need to get stronger and then have the resources to recover from that. And I always think this is important to say because whenever I have this conversation with someone who is like completely unfamiliar with my style of programming, I feel like their first thought is like, oh, so it's very easy. Like the program is so easy. Like it's not going to be challenging enough for me. And I'm sure as a person who's going through it, you can speak to this, but I make my athletes work really hard. Like it's all about intentional intensity though. It's not just 55 minutes of balls to the wall of nonsense. You know, like we're being very (laughs) intentional. Maybe you're doing three reps of a given exercise, maybe by the end of the workout, you've only done 15 total reps between all of the sets and reps and exercises, but those reps all really count. And those reps are perfecting the skills, getting your body to move optimally, getting your pelvic floor to respond with the load perfectly. And what's the word I'm looking for? Like, so that it gets to a point where it is reacting in its way on that own on its own in that way. And you've worked really hard by the end of it, but you've given yourself the opportunity to rest and recover. So like, it doesn't burn you out in that way that you might be used to if you have that athletic background, but you are getting better and you are getting stronger and you are getting more powerful. So it's all really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say that is, that did kind of blow my mind because I won't say the first few weeks were easy. The first few weeks, you're not even using weights for most of the things. And I do remember thinking, well, this is going to be silly. And then I was still sore after some of them, (laughs) but I was never, never burnt out. I don't think there's been a single workout that I was burnt out. And I am surprised because some of the days will be very few reps. And then you get to the next week and you like, 
I don't even know the terminology, but you've kind of, you're starting to string things together or you're doing a new version of something or you're doing more reps all of a sudden. And I'm like, oh, this is not easy, but like, I can do this. Yeah. Even some of the split leg stuff took me a lot longer to get to because my hips are so unstable, but yeah, I've reached a point in the program, like, oh, I can do this. It is all adding up, even though I don't feel miserable in the meantime, which is sad to say, why do I think that I have to feel miserable to get stronger? Man, that societal messaging, you know, we get fed some crazy stuff in this culture. Everyone's all focused on diet culture, but like, have you glanced at fitness culture? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is definitely a new aspect of social media that is... Yeah, it's just as from full. So what is it about this programming? Is it the fact that it's kettlebells or is it the way that you've broken things down and added them back up? I don't know enough about workouts. I just know it's different than what I've done before. Yeah, there's a few things at play. And I am a person who likes to learn from everyone. And I have had a lot of really great mentor mentors over the years. And I've kind of pieced together a lot of what I've seen working in completely different industries. Like I have learned from really high level, like strength and performance coaches. And it's interesting because a lot of the stuff that works in high level strength and performance really works in the hormone metabolic health sphere as well, because it's just really good programming. And like a high level athlete needs to recover really well from their workouts too, you know? So the same principles apply and things that kind of blew my mind were like how little we actually need to move the needle. Like I used to program when I first started out as a trainer, I used to program so many more reps because like more is better, you know? And like, we have to do more. And I was coming from that hit class world Mm -hmm. where you had to do so many, you know, (laughs) and does wear you out. Those classes wear me out. Yeah. And I, then I shifted into like powerlifting coaching style a little bit more. And so I was training more max strength barbell lifts, but then I started to lower the reps. Like I was only having my athletes do about five reps. And then I shifted things even more when I started to dive into the world of kettlebells a little bit and kettlebells. There's a few reasons specifically that I love them for this program. It's not that I don't love barbells anymore. I just have shifted things a little bit. I'll talk about that in a sec, but then I learned from a couple more mentors who were having their athletes do even less than five reps. And I was like, wait, is this, does this actually work? And then I tried it with my athletes and I was shocked to see just how few reps and sets I really needed and how few training days, like some of my, some of the athletes go through my program and they train one to two days a week and they're still seeing Mm -hmm. major improvements in their lives. And so for me, that was like, okay, way more people need to know about this because Mm -hmm. especially moms are being sold these programs that are six days a week, you know, 55 minute to 75 minute workouts with all this variety and all these reps and sets. And I'm a mom. I look at these programs. I'm a trainer. I'm a coach. And I look at these programs and I'm like, hell no, like that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. It's not going to fit into my week ever in no way. So Mm -hmm. I had to come up with something 
that I saw that could really move the needle that you could recover from no matter how depleted you were, no matter how run down you truly felt, no matter how limited your resources were, just like time, access, like all that kind of stuff. And so one of the major things that came along with kettlebells was just you can buy two of them, leave them in your living room, train in your pajamas, in between client calls, in between baby naps, like spread it out throughout your day. It just made it so much more accessible than find a place that has a barbell, load the barbell, do your warm up sets, do your work sets. Like it's just tear down the barbell, get back to your house. Like those things became barriers. So I tried to figure out a way to really make this program have as few barriers to entry as possible. And so kettlebells was just like a huge piece of that because, you know, they're under my desk right now. It's just like, I, before this call could have gotten my workout and like, it just makes it so, so much more accessible. So yeah, it's a combination of things. It's really the low reps and sets, the way that we progress the lifts. So for example, if you are a person who has had knee pain with squatting or hip pain with squatting or back pain with squatting or foot pain with squatting, or your pelvic floor symptoms get worse when you squat. And then you start my program. And before we even squat, we're doing an assisted squat. Mm -hmm. And we're taking some of the load of your body weight out of the equation and slowly showing you that, oh, wait, it's not that squatting hurts my knees or squatting makes my prolapse worse. It's that I wasn't currently prepared to squat the weight of my own body weight. And suddenly when we put an assisted squat in there and you can hold onto a doorknob or you can hold onto a TRX and that TRX or doorknob is holding some of your body weight, all of a sudden your knees don't hurt. All of a sudden your prolapse symptoms don't get worse when you squat. And so now we've shown you that, oh, I'm capable. I can do this thing. I just have to slowly build up the strength for it. So then, you know, we start to piece together a split squat before we ever try to learn the Turkish getup, because there's a split squat in the Turkish getup. So I need to make sure that you first feel stable body weight, or like we said, assisted on that one leg before I go ahead and put a kettlebell in your hand. Not only that, put a kettlebell overhead because that's an even less stable position. So throughout these 12 weeks, I am ensuring that you have each skill that unlocks the next skill and make sure that we're going to get there symptom-free. We're going to get there in a way that your body can tolerate it and recover from it. So it's kind of all the things you mentioned. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. And I love the combining modalities. I think that is one of the joys of maybe growing towards middle adulthood is that, you know, when you're fresh out of college, you're like, well, I know everything, right? Mm -hmm. I have this degree that tells me so. And then you work and hopefully you are humble and always learning and always asking questions. And you realize that there's always more to like add and tweak. I feel like even in my lactation practice, like having been a NICU nurse for so many years informs it. Absolutely. Having worked alongside a physical therapist informs it. Having had my own babies informs it. Like having taken all of these trainings, like it's almost impossible to put down on paper what makes something unique because it's Mm -hmm. just whatever the person is willing to learn and pick up and add. So I love that approach. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't even tell you that I was like an art therapist first. Uh, <laughs> There's a whole other layer to how uh, I work with people. I never have heard that. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. I have a question about that, but I do also want to say the muscle memory of the early programming. I don't know. I'm 37 and I don't think I've ever done a squat correctly in my entire life. Like I danced. And so I always had like, I could do a plie squat, no problem. And even in body pump, I was just always defaulting to a plie squat because I could not do it. And I thought it was a mobility thing. And I've done all the chiropractic and all the body work. And it wasn't a mobility thing. It was just, a, I don't even know what it was. I just, once I started doing them in your program, I was like, well, this is what a squat is supposed to feel like. It was totally different. Yeah. A lot of times we think things are mobility things when a huge piece of it is often strength as well. So yeah, like, and I, I couldn't have even told you where, but somewhere right. along your programming, I have finally picked up the strength in that area that was lacking. Yeah. That's a huge piece of like the assisted squats. And also like if you were defaulting to more of a plie squat, which is a little more externally rotated and we know there was kind of history of prolapse there too. Like it might've been some of that internal rotation at the pelvis that was missing. So things like working on those adductors and the Copenhagen planks and things like the assisted squats and getting your hips to rotate a little bit better with less of that body weight load you know, all that stuff. and barefoot, obviously like getting those feet involved and getting those feet moving better, like that stuff all builds and helps to shift that. So I'm so glad you had that experience, but yeah, it's so multifaceted, like you said. Yeah. So I want to go back to the art therapist, because maybe that's going to pertain to what I'm asking next is my husband has actually said like, you're, I have struggled with postpartum mood disorders with every child, like all the varieties. And this particular one was a lot of like postpartum OCD, and panic. And my husband actually several weeks into starting this program was like, your mood is so much better. Not like I'm in a bad grumpy mood and this makes it better, but he's like, you are calmer and happier. And so I'm curious what it is about, what is it about working out in this way that helps your mood too? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it kind of, a lot of this a lot of how I approach, first of all, I'm so happy you're having that experience. That is like the best feeling. Yeah. Second of all, lifting is just the best ever. And it's sometimes hard to put into words why we feel so much better. Muscle is amazing. And it just like shifts so much with our metabolic health and our stability inside of our body. There's a confidence that comes with feeling stronger and feeling capable to get through your day that like some of the weight of that burden like goes away, you know, when like you're stronger and load feels like less of a big deal. Um, but part of what led me in this direction was I was working as an art therapist in substance abuse, like inpatient and detox and rehab centers. And part of the like thing that resonated for me there was just it wasn't just talk therapy. There was this element mm -hmm. of using your hands, using movement in some way that was making things better. And so like I worked on some projects surrounding like repetitive movements and how that contributes to feelings of anxiety. You know, like a lot of my mm. more anxiety prone clients loved things like crocheting or knitting just because like that rhythmic nature of like using your hands in a repetitive way was just soothing. 
And I think there's an element of that with kettlebell mm-hmm. training. You get in a rhythm with kettlebell swings or you get in a flow with your presses. Like there's this sort of just like repetitive nature to it. And I think specifically the hands are so important. Like our feet and our hands are these two really important things that contribute to the central nervous system, which is why you'll always see in my movement prep, the first thing we do is like get on our hands and feet, feel the ground, spread our fingers, spread our toes, like start to get that central nervous system firing with all of these little receptors that are on our hands and feet. And so one of the things that really sets apart kettlebell training is like how involved your hands and grip are. You're always holding the bell. There's no resting it on your shoulders. There's no, you know, safety bar cable, like things that make it not in your own hands. And so I just find something really soothing about that grip and the way that you need to hold the bell. But yeah, I think it's like a whole combination of a million things and muscle and confidence and all those nerve receptors that we're tapping into when we hold a bell and touch the ground and just how good that feels to like use our bodies well. Yeah. Yeah. That, it. you know, as you were talking, it made me think in my first two births, there was a lot of, all three of them are unmedicated, but they're all different as you know. And in my first two, there was a point where I was just like squeezing my husband's hand for dear life, you know, <laughs> and we would joke about it afterwards. But my doula was like, you actually have receptors in your hand that like reduce pain so she's like you were it's not just that you were like oh my gosh I'm holding on for dear life like it was somehow affecting your pain level so she made me think of that when you said yeah you are always holding on to the kettlebell yeah there's just something about the way it feels in your hand that like keeps you coming back and that's another big piece of why I shifted all my programming to kettlebell programs because like I used to write more traditional, like gym style programs for like one-on-one clients with barbell work and cable work and dumbbells and all kinds of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with those pieces of equipment. I have just found that especially dancers, there's something to the dance of movement with a kettlebell that makes people fall in love with it in such a different way. Like I loved training in barbells. I loved competing in powerlifting, but like there's something about kettlebells that like we can't quite put into words, but they're just so fun and feel so good. And again, with that lowering the barrier to entry thing, like part of what lowers the barrier to entry and make something sustainable is that you enjoy it and want to come back to it. And I've seen retention rate with kettlebell programs just be so much higher than clients of mine in the past. Cause like, it's really fun. It's like the skills are all things that really need practice. And especially, you know, like you see the way I coach them inside the program where we really give them the attention they deserve. And I make you feel like this is a skill I want to practice. Like we value inside of this program, like getting crispier with it, getting juicier with it. Like the lift looking really good and feeling really snappy, it makes you want to come back and keep doing it. And so that's just so fun and awesome. And it's made it so much easier to convince people to come back because it just feels so good. And it feels like something you want to keep working towards. Yeah. I think especially in the postpartum season, like 
there are already so many hard things like you do yep. need something that you look I can't say that I've necessarily ever looked forward to workouts except maybe when I was a runner and like would go running with friends you know yeah. but otherwise there was maybe an aspect of bar three that had that too but I do miss these when I don't get to do them the day that I thought I was going to or something like that and I think you're right what appealed to me with body pump was even the kind of the rhythm of it it was a little bit different than maybe traditional just weightlifting as I had known it before, but the kettlebell flows better. And you also got me thinking that I did an interview with a physical therapist in season one that I'll link in the show notes about rhythmic movements for babies. And she talks mm -hmm. about how even the mom doing the rhythmic movement on the baby is in itself a rhythmic movement for the mom too. <laughs> and how rhythmic movement just yeah, calms our brains, like you're saying, and it can help us even integrate reflexes and things like that. One of your exercises, what is it called where you're on your back? The arm, is it the arm bar? Yes. <laughs> where, and you're rotating, your ribs are going one way and your hips are going the other way. And I was even wondering, as I was doing it one day, if that would help somebody integrate there's a reflex where you turn your head one way and your arm bends the other way. And like, some adults can have it retained, like they're driving and they look and the whole car veers because they haven't, <laughs> they haven't integrated that reflex. And it's just, you know, like we said, always thinking about all these other modalities that are incorporated without maybe even realizing it. So it's funny you mentioned the arm bar. I love arm bars for moms because, well, for a few reasons, but it's something we don't do enough, like put we do a lot of things in front of our eyeballs. And so it becomes really scary and challenging for us to hold a load, especially behind our heads when our eyes go one way and our arm goes the other way. And besides for all of the impact on the pelvic floor and getting the rib cage moving and a really good opportunity to use the breath and gain shoulder stability, like there's so many things that happen in the arm bar. But if you think about that movement pattern where you're holding load, and the load is going behind you and your eyes are going the other way. And you mentioned drive. I always think about this as like my moms who are driving their car and then the pacifier falls out of the baby's mouth behind them <laughs> or someone dropped their something that's in your bag behind your seat. And you go to reach behind you while you have to keep your eyes on the road. And all of a sudden you tear something in your shoulder or something feels wrong or your back feels terrible for the rest of the day because we don't feel safe reaching for load and many of us don't even have access to that range of motion, but we don't feel safe reaching for a load behind us when our eyes are in that forward mm -hmm. direction. And I've just seen this unlock so much for people who always need to do that thing. Like if you <laughs> are a mom and have been in a car, you have done this. <laughs> yeah. So like, let's make it safe for you to do that. And let's make your body register this as a safe pattern. And I think it opens up a lot of doors. <laughs> yeah, that was the one exercise in the program. I'm like, I don't like this one. <laughs> for, yeah, for probably the first two weeks, I was like, I really hate this. And then I think the connection finally clicked and now I like it, but which probably means I needed it more, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel safe. It didn't feel stable. It probably needed to work on that. So yeah, most of my moms are like addicted to arm bars. <laughs> now, and now I can see why, but in the beginning I was just like this, doesn't feel right. <laughs> Tash, yeah. So I kind of mentioned like, why wasn't I doing this sooner? If you didn't get on board with this during pregnancy, when can you start training like this postpartum? I mean, 
I kind of feel like immediately I'm like a big believer that we need to start moving soon as baby's born. And that means something different completely for everyone. But I think that a lot of us wait for this like elusive, like, oh, you're six weeks postpartum. Now you're cleared for exercise. And like, what have we been doing from zero to six weeks? Like, were we just lying there and clenching our pelvic floor because we were trying to hold our organs in and holding our breath because we were nervous or, you know, like whatever it was, we need to get our rib cage moving again. We need to get our diaphragm moving again. We need to get our pelvic floor responding and loading eccentrically. We need to get our feet moving again. We need to get our shoulders stabilizing for us. Like there's so we need to get our core reconnecting. Like there's so much stuff that needs to happen that if you did nothing from zero to six weeks or zero to 10 months, like do not feel bad about that. You can always regain function. You can always regain strength and capabilities. But my goal is to make moms feel less scared of movement. And again, lowering that barrier to entry and just feeling like I can do this. I can implement something right away that's going to make me feel better and going to make me feel more capable of my day-to-day and going to make all the tasks of my day less stressful and less hard. And that's a huge thing. Like things feel so hard in the early postpartum. And so certainly like the movement prep stuff and the breathing prep, like you can start that right away postpartum. And again, my hope with my postpartum program is that it'll kind of lay out exactly how to approach this for people. So you won't feel scared of it and you won't feel like she talked about it, but I still don't quite understand like how to implement this safely. I mean, you know, I'm a huge fan of pelvic floor physical therapy, but specifically like a strength focused, holistic pelvic floor physical therapist, someone who's going to view you as a whole person and not be scared of you lifting heavy things. So that stuff, like you can really start immediately. And again, the breath work, reconnecting, that stuff you can start pretty immediately, but even like four to six weeks postpartum, like we can start training. It's just, what does training look like? Right. Does training look Mm -hmm. like walking back into your CrossFit gym and just being like, can someone tell me how to modify (laughs) the wad? Like, you know, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, like I, I mean, if you check out my Instagram, I saved a lot of my postpartum stuff to a highlight because people Mm -hmm. kept asking me to put that all together, but I showed, you know, exactly what I was doing four weeks postpartum and putting it all back together and how I was starting to get my body ready to do this again and to move load because the quicker we move load, the quicker we get our capabilities back, which is like, it makes everything so much easier postpartum. Yeah. And I think I was intimidated because like I said, I hadn't done that even during pregnancy. Like I was active, but I wasn't strength training and Mm -hmm. so I thought man I can't dive right into that but then having done the program even though the happy hormones one is not the postpartum one I feel like I know my body well enough that I could have stayed within like the first three weeks until I really felt comfortable to to move on but like we said that first week is I don't know if there's load at all maybe yeah the first week there is no that yeah load starts second week Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, I could have moved through some of those and felt safe about it, but you did mention a strengths focused PT. And I've heard you talk about that before. How does that differ from a normal pelvic PT? I guess I'll say. 
Yeah. I mean, this is, it's tricky. Like I'm the kind of person who you like, you know, I'm like a little sassy, but if a doctor doesn't have muscles, I'm like, (laughs) thank you next. You know, (laughs) like I need all of my practitioners to practice what they preach and to like fit my needs because I need them to understand the demands of my life and what I'm trying to get back to, you know? So it was really important for me to find, I recommend everyone see a pelvic floor physical therapist before they get pregnant, while they're pregnant in the postpartum season. And for me personally, and for a lot of my athletes, like it is super important for me to have a pelvic floor physical therapist who understands load and who understands load management, who understands kettlebells specifically, because there's patterns that are just different, you know? And so I just think that if a pelvic floor physical therapist doesn't understand the demands of training and lifting and load truly, you won't get the most out of that interaction because like, I don't know, like life doesn't happen on a mat, you know? So if your pelvic floor physical therapist is giving you all these amazing mat exercises, that's great. But what happens when you need to jump off a curb or sprint to catch a bus or sprint to catch your toddler that's falling off the chair, that's leaning against the knife, that's by, you know, like life happens really fast and we have to be strong and we have to respond quickly. So like, it's just very important for me that it's not just this isolated look at the pelvic floor or even like really understanding the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and all that connection and all that stuff. But like, do they understand what happens when there's 300 pounds on the barbell? Like I need them to understand that. So for me, for all my athletes, for all moms, because again, our kids weigh a lot. Our life is heavy and our groceries are heavy and you know, like all this stuff is so heavy. So I have to really understand how it translates to load and demand. Yeah. My toddler is in the phase now of, you know, where they throw their body weight around. Oh, that's the best. (laughs) Just makes them like five times heavier than they actually are. So, but that makes sense to me. Okay. Because I have done, I highly recommend pelvic PT. There's a lot of relearning how to breathe, connecting the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, like loosening. Cause like I said, a lot of people are doing too many giggles or protecting that area when they really need to loosen it up. But then you're right. I graduated PT and it was like, now what? You know, I still went back to my body pump class and didn't feel right. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. It's like that stuff is great. And that's the start and that's the foundation. But then like, how do we progress it from that point? How do we take it from being like this low level rehab exercise to like getting us back to all the stuff we really want and need to do every day? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Every time I stand up from a diaper change now, I'm like, oh, good thing I can squat with 25 pounds. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that being said though, are there some real red flags where you should probably go to PT before starting my program? Yeah. I always recommend like, if there's something going on that just doesn't feel right for you, just see a PT, just do Mm -hmm. it, you know, again, find a good one. But a lot of times you can kind of do them alongside each other. Like I've had plenty of people start my program and then be like, this thing is still coming up for me. And I'll refer them to a PT and just be like, do the consult, especially when it's like a friend of mine and someone who knows the ins and outs of my program. 
then that synergy is really nice where they kind of like understand the exact demands of what you're doing and can give you some more strategies inside of PT. Cause again, I, you've seen, I work really hard on my demo videos so that I'm giving you as much information as I can in a self-paced virtual program. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, some of us just need eyeballs on us to make sure that we're implementing properly and just check out like what strategies are we using and how can we maybe shift that strategy to make this better. So that can always be really helpful, but yeah, it's never like a clear cut exact answer, but if you sense that something is off, like, you know, go get that checked out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is so much a motherhood, right? Like we have yeah. these gut intuitions about ourselves and our babies and sometimes like in postpartum anxiety, they get way ramped up. And then you're like, well, when do I trust it? And when do I not? But it yep. is, it's like, we do have those intuitions for a reason. And it's definitely, yeah, reach out if you're in doubt. I feel like also working through the program, if I were to go back to PT, I would have much more specific questions for them. Yeah. And like much more specific feedback and like, am I doing this thing right? Whereas before I was just like, somebody help me. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, with that intuition, I think like we have amazing intuition about our bodies and oftentimes it is the outside, like quote unquote experts who take that away from us. Like I did a reel once about like, like a silly reel about using your common sense to understand that women need to lift more than 10 pounds. Like if a provider tells you, oh, you have prolapse, you can't lift more than 10 pounds. And like, you know, your toddler weighs 35 yeah. pounds. It's so simple to use your common sense and just mm -hmm. trust your intuition. But when we have an expert telling us like, oh, you shouldn't do this we sometimes forget about our intuition and our common sense and it gets like muted all, you know, so really just thinking about the demands of your life and how dangerous life is. Like, that's the thing that I think a lot of us miss is a kettlebell stays exactly where we mm -hmm. put it. And so I can go to deadlift a kettlebell and pick it up from the place I put it and put it back to the place I got it from. That's so safe, you know? <laughs> and then you have the same load, like say that was a 35 pound kettlebell. And then I have my 35 pound toddler who I need to put into the bathtub <laughs> and he is flailing his arms and legs in a million different directions. And like you said, throwing his head back and turning his body weight into five times his body weight. That is so unsafe and unpredictable for me to move that load. So we go on and think like, oh, the gym is so dangerous. Like, oh, kettlebells are so dangerous. I touched those kettlebells with my prolapse. But like, that is a predictable load that we can raise slowly and incrementally over a 12 week program. And we can slowly add intensity and we can slowly add tempo and we can slowly add reps versus like the crazy wrangling thing that you need to lift every single day of your life. So like we need to stop viewing the gym as dangerous and we need to view our lives as dangerous and think of the gym as an amazing way to prepare ourselves for the dangers of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. And even again, when you were saying the intuition, I will say that there, I do hit a point around six weeks postpartum where I'm like, I want to move. I, yeah. and with the, fir the first kid, I was like, well, I'll just go run around the block. 
yeah that probably took like three months of public PT to undo that decision but then with the other two I was like well I want to move but I'm scared to you know and I think having the resources to know that you can move safely makes all the difference because I did need to move you know I had been I had a really rough recovery this time and probably my mood would have benefited from moving and my body, I would have started feeling safe and oh my gosh, actually this, I wasn't even going to bring this up in the podcast. It's just weird what working out brings up. So I delivered this baby on my hands and knees and then I ended up losing a lot of blood unrelated to the position, of course, but (laughs) then I got readmitted a few days later for blood transfusion and it was really traumatic, but I was in counseling, you know, dealing with all of this as best I can. And then one day I was doing, oh my gosh, what is it called when you're on all fours, but you're like, your knees aren't on the ground. Like the angry cat hold or the beast yes, hold. I'm like it's in almost every, yes. Yeah. So one of the first few workouts with the angry cat hold, I just like started crying. Yeah. <laughs> because I had been so afraid to work out, right? Because working out yeah. kind of feels like a panic attack. Like you get warm, you get sweaty, your heart rate increases. And my body was just like, well, that's not a safe feeling. And so exactly what you're saying though, doing that in a controlled, safe manner, suddenly my body yeah. was like, oh, I can like release these feelings. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Just kind of forgot about that till we started talking. Yeah. Thank you so for sharing that. That's awesome. But yeah. yeah, it's like, it's interesting. You brought up that running around the block thing too, because that's another thing. Like people think of walking mm-hmm. and running as things with such a low barrier to entry. So many people like that's their first foray into fitness. Cause it's yeah. like, Oh, you just need just a pair did. of sneakers yep. and you <laughs> get out your front door. But like you said, when we have this understanding of the pelvic floor and our load management, like I encourage my athletes to earn their first postpartum walk yeah, by coordinating their pelvic floor and their breath first. And like, in my mind, strength training comes before walking in the postpartum season, especially baby wearing walks. Like, yes. I don't know why we think we go from lying in our bed for two weeks to going for a mile long walk, wearing our baby and think that our pelvic floor is going to meet that demand. It's like yes. this thing we've thought of as so safe just because it has this low barrier to entry when it comes to like, everyone can do it and we all do it every day. And, you know, but it's so important to use strength training to make walking safer postpartum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that may sound so backwards to some people who have created all these stories around strength training, but when we really think about the demands of that task, where all of a sudden we're upright And all of a sudden we're trying to figure out how to manage pressure in our body. And there's this big demand on our pelvic floor that there hasn't quite been since we were pregnant. A lot can happen with those first postpartum walks or those first postpartum runs. Like we really need to consider how we progress back to that safely. Yeah, that actually has me thinking. I probably still, if I went for like a four mile walk with my kids would have some prolapse symptoms the rest of the day, whereas I don't know that I ever have after one of your workouts. Yeah. So that's really interesting. often encourage people to use like the movement prep and the breath work before a long baby wearing walk and after Mm -hmm. a long baby wearing walk, because 
we want to just kind of encourage our body to rely on those good strategies as opposed to defaulting into shifting the hips forward, clenching our butt, like dropping our hips into our joints and just like really putting way too much pressure down. We can, you know, rely on all the muscle memory from the good stuff we've been working on in our training, but sometimes, you know, a little love before and after a walk helps a lot with just like getting us doing the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, to be clear, my anti-walks, like, yeah. walks are great. I feel like even just for mental health, like totally. make your husband push the baby in the stroller and you're just walking, you know, it's like yeah. the sunshine, the fresh air, get your blood pumping, but it's not like maybe fitness. It's not your route back into fitness. Maybe is kind of what we're saying. Yeah. And again, like just consider the load on the pelvic floor. So I encourage my athletes to instead of one half hour walk, like maybe that looks like three 10 minute walks throughout the day. If that's something that you're really relying on postpartum. And again, maybe before you get out for the walk, before you put the baby in the carrier, just doing a little breath and connection work and all that good stuff you learn inside the movement prep and strength training for happy hormones, because we just want to set ourselves up for good strategies while we walk. And, and as you progress in your postpartum recovery, it'll get better and it'll feel more connected, but you'll notice a big shift in like what that feels like on the pelvic floor. And so many of us don't even know like what our pelvic floor feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Have- so you don't know that it, that's not a normal feeling. Exactly. It's like, oh yeah, this is what I feel like postpartum. And like, mm-hmm. you know, there's still so much content on the internet and so many mom jokes about how <laughs> you're just supposed to pee in your pants mm-hmm. or feel heaviness for the rest of your life. But like, not the case. Like you should feel really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I would like to think that I can still feel better. Yeah. So as we're talking about like foundations, do you have bare minimum recommendations for sleep? I mean, we talked about, you don't need to be sleeping through the night, but like sleep and diet, right? I mean, we, we need to be eating enough. We do need to be sleeping probably in some sort of chunks. What are kind of your bare minimum recommendations in that realm? I think, like you said about intuition, I can't give specific guidelines because it's going to look different for everyone. I'm hoping that as you go through a program like my own, and we talk a lot in the modules about what things should feel like, we talk a lot in the demo videos about what things should feel like. Like when you're postpartum and you wake up in the morning, you know, you know, like, you know, if you're capable of anything that day or not. (laughs) Yeah, it's. Some disrupted nights of sleep feel very different than other disrupted Mm -hmm. nights of sleep. So again, if you have this narrative in your head of, oh, I'm postpartum, I'm not sleeping, I shouldn't be working out, then this advice isn't going to work for you. Like I encourage Mm -hmm. you to try a program like my program, or if there's other low rep, you know, hormone focused training programs out there, but once you kind of have that language with your body, understanding what it feels like to feel good and what it feels like to not feel good from your workouts, you'll be able to tap into your intuition more and decide if you should train that day or not. But yeah, like obviously if you are not getting a single hour of uninterrupted sleep, you probably shouldn't train. But if you're getting, even if you're getting like two hour stretches, like you can probably do this, you know? Yeah. 
So this is a, maybe a side question, but Train Heroic is the app that you don't have to use it. I guess you could just print out the thing from Teachable. And, but Train Heroic is kind of the app that you use as you're working through the program, like you click through the exercise. When you start, it has you kind of score like your sleep and how sore you are and how stressed you are. Like, does that score matter to you? I know it's part of the app and not part of your program. Does yeah. that score matter to you or is it just information for me to learn my own body? Exactly. I like that it asks you those things. I like for you to, at the beginning of your workout, have to look at that and really like ask yourself, did I sleep? Like, am I overly stressed? And maybe that means that you'll take some extra time with the breath work. And maybe that means that you'll not train today entirely or, you know, like, I think it's just good to check in with yourself. So I like that they ask you to check in with yourself because I think so many of us are just like, oh, I have 35 minutes till my next meeting. Like, let me try to get my workout in. And we don't for a second think like, is that appropriate for me today? So I like that they ask that. I don't know that I would like, you know, hang a whole bunch of weight on the exact number that shows up (laughs) that there have been days when I've gotten like a 1.7 but I'm still kind of like you said I'm like would this workout benefit me yes it would still benefit me right now so I'm gonna do exactly so you're doing exactly that yeah and my score is improving overall I think it used to be like 2.5 ish out of five right and then now it's more like a 3.5 my readiness that's great yeah so trends are important too (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) well let's shift gears a little bit I feel like most of my podcast listeners are more interested in their health how they're feeling more than how they look but we all know that you have a baby there is a point where you're like what is this body that I'm in? And I get questions as a lactation consultant. Can I start working out? Can I lose weight? Things like that. What just, what are your thoughts about intentional weight loss in the postpartum period? Yeah. So it's not something I focus on. I am much more interested in focusing on gaining capabilities, building muscle, do some of my clients feel like their body composition shifts in a way that is they feel is positive? Do they see decrease in fat, increase in muscle? Sometimes, yeah, it totally depends on nutrition, sleep, stress, training age, training history, intensity. Like, are they truly approaching the reps with that intentional intensity we talked about and really pushing themselves and it, there's so much that comes up with that. I think there's a lot to be said for gaining confidence inside of your own body. Does that need to come with weight loss, fat loss? Not necessarily. Like sometimes you're living in the exact same body, but you just feel better about that body because you feel strong and capable, you know? Yeah. I did a bunch of episodes on my podcast recently Mm. about body composition. So if you want to hear more like about that, we did an episode called Adina got fat and here's what happened that for you. You know what? Um, I have that bookmarked and I haven't listened to it yet. So, okay. It's a very popular episode. And we just did a Valentine's day episode, like of about body image and how to show up for your body in different seasons of life. So I definitely expand on that conversation there, but Yeah. It's tough. Like being postpartum is so hard. You feel far in your body, even if it's not something that, you know, even if you've done so much work to not care about that, it Mm -hmm. just can feel so far in there. And so 
again, focusing on gaining capabilities. Like for me, I love to set a postpartum performance goal, Mm -hmm. like getting my pull-ups back. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, it just fuels me to just keep working towards it and to not think about any of that other deep-seated stuff that just gets dug up from (laughs) your teen (laughs) years every time, you know? Yeah. But yeah, just like focusing on all the stuff that's going well and all those skills you're unlocking. And every time you increase your press or you get that floor push-up back, like all those capabilities that feel so good. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It just, it is inevitably a question that comes up when you work in the postpartum space and yeah, I just, I feel like it's so nuanced. So I will go listen to those episodes actually, because I find for myself, there's a point where I'm really patient with it. And then I feel like I hit the one year mark and I'm like, wait, now what's <laughs> happening here? So yeah. just relearning I think, um, how to be gentle with myself too. Exactly. Yeah. And I think again, capability is like finding a goal that lights you up, you mm-hmm. know, like if you haven't trained floor pushups yet, or if you've never done a pull up, or if you have like a press number, like pressing overhead, like a load that feels like kind of scary, exciting for you, like set a goal and train towards it. And things really shift when you do that. Okay. I like that. I have it. My goal was just to finish the program, but now that's in sight. I feel like I could think about something else. So, yeah. So with nutrition though, I feel like, do you still also have, at one point you had a bigger program that was like maybe a group program. Do you still have that, that also incorporates nutrition and things like that? So I have not run that program. Okay since before I moved. I love coaching and I am literally obsessed with helping women gain energy and get strong, but I don't like working at night. I am now seven (laughs) hours ahead Mm -hmm. of Eastern time. And so, especially in the postpartum season, like I just could not bring myself to be coaching at 8 p.m., And like, I'm just now getting back into my rhythm with recording our podcast at night. So I'm slowly finding my rhythm with like, how can I find the nights where I can work? How can I spend five hours at the beach those mornings and like (laughs) ease into my rhythm a little bit more? So I will probably bring that program back at some point, but for right now, I just need to focus on the things that are running smoothly and running well and (laughs) limit my nighttime coaching. Oh, I'm like 10 months ahead of you. And I'm still like, what does work look like with three kids? It looks different than with two kids. So yeah, know your (laughs) limits. So, so that was your thing where you kind of brought nutrition into it. And so right now your other programs are more exercise focused. So where would you recommend like breastfeeding moms, you need more nutrition, you're recovering, you're making milk, like, what do you have in in terms of recommendations, just for like a pre-workout and post-workout snacks. And how much do people need to even worry about that? Because that is something that's talked about a lot in the fitness space. Yeah. I care more about like how much you're eating throughout the day and that you're prioritizing protein and that you're eating carbs. Like those simple sentences, you know, think prioritizing animal protein is the most important thing that you can do for yourself. And especially if you're trying to build muscle, but even if you're not like If you are not actively strength training and you're not eating enough animal protein, like you are withering away. Muscles are just going bye-bye. So you really need to be prioritizing that. And also like 
think something that people need to hear, which is hard postpartum, but like, like gelatin gummies don't count as protein. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Eat a piece of meat. Eat yeah. real animal proteins, like things with texture, things that you chew, things that really deeply nourish you. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with gummies. They're great, but like, that's not a meal. Like we mm-hmm. need to be eating enough animal protein meats and <laughs> such. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard postpartum. Like if you need to rely on some smoothies, like that's totally fine. I do think that eating before you train is important. Even if you are a really busy mom and you're just squeezing things in, like make sure you're getting something, just focus on protein and carbs. Like the fat kind of comes along for the ride when you do that, if you're eating animal proteins. But yeah, I just think having some protein and carbs before training, some protein and carbs after training. I really like to have my athletes sip on like adrenal cocktails while they train too, because that can be really nice. But again, I would make that with coconut water and not like milk while you're training. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, maybe the freedom in that because yes, make sure you're eating enough throughout the day, but then it's otherwise it's just one more thing to do or rather to like fail at when you're like, I got to get this workout in and I need to eat this you know, 30 minutes before my workout and I need to eat this 15 minutes after my workout and it just makes it even more complicated. So I'm happy to hear that answer because that's kind of been how my real life looks. But after Mm -hmm. my workouts last week, I was like, should I be eating a snack like right away? Just do what works. But yeah, focus on protein and carbs. When I come down from training and there's like actually hard boiled eggs in the fridge and like Mm -hmm. a banana on the counter, I'm like, this is working. Yeah. Yes. I think I just have one more question to kind of run by you so when you're breastfeeding there's kind of some debate about how long relaxin stays in your body that hormone when you're pregnant but you have athletes who are training while pregnant too so do you need to do anything different taking into account like that extra laxity or hypermobility at all it's funny because (laughs) my answer is very annoying just get stronger. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, that, yeah, I have hypermobility even when I'm not pregnant and breastfeeding and I feel much more stable now, 11 weeks yeah. into this, but I think what happens is, I mean, this comes from society, but it also comes from our feelings. Like, I think a lot of women are drawn to like prenatal yoga, like doctors prescribe it. And also if you are feeling a little more mobile, a little more lax in your pregnancy, you might feel really successful at yoga. Like maybe you're the person who can get into all the poses and it looks exactly like the instructor or look how deep I am in this squad or look how far I can reach in this forward fold. Like you feel successful at it because of that increased mobility. And so you think that means that this is the appropriate fitness for you at this time. So we need to think, oh, actually, this person needs more strength and more stability. So in some cases, it really just comes down to understanding the patterns and implementing what you need to implement to control your ranges of motion. So for example, with an overhead press, if you have super hypermobile elbows and you go to press overhead and your elbows exceed the normal range of motion and sort of pop out into that little L shape, you just need to know, okay, I need to cut off this range of motion when my arm 
looks the way her arm looks in the demo video. And one of the reasons I love marches and I love holds, like just with the kettlebell, is because I think that drills in a lot of that. Like if you're going for reps on an overhead press, well, what if, and you're feeling more hypermobile, what if we go ahead and just hold the bell at that end range of motion in the top position and really focus on the grip, really focus on the end range of that elbow, really focus on how the shoulder feels and how we can increase the stability there. So gaining stability at the joints by holding these isometrics in the end range. Same goes for push-ups. If you notice that when you're going for reps on your push-ups and your elbows kind of pop out the other way, how can we focus on that top plank position and work on the shoulder stability, the elbow stability, the stability of the wrist pressing into the floor, you know, and this applies to every joint too. So looking at those knees, are my knees like locking out behind my legs on the top of my squat and deadlift? Can I focus on what the normal end range of motion is there and increase that strength and stability at the foot, at the calves, at the quads, and like get everyone on board holding the knee in that proper position. So Again, it comes down to watching for those end range of motion, understanding what they are, gaining stability there, increasing strength and stability on the whole, and steering ourselves away from just like doing what we feel successful at because of the positions our body can get into. So understanding that when we are more mobile, the thing that will make us feel better is strength and stability. So if you've been told that for your SI joint pain, you need to go to prenatal yoga and then you go do prenatal yoga and you're like, oh my God, I feel a million times worse. <laughs> it's because we're lacking that stability and coordination and strength. So strength yeah. training. Yeah, I would agree with that. This was probably the pregnancy in which I worked out the least for a variety of factors. And yeah, I had a lot of pelvic, not the heaviness, but just like that, those joints in my hips. Yeah. I was just like, these are all over the place. So yeah. And I think that maybe like we were even talking about kind of the way you move rhythmically with the kettlebell, I've never really felt like I got in a position where I could even lock my knees out because you're never really like, you're holding certain things, but you're never really like, pausing I don't know if that even makes sense but I feel like because you have to move right back into the other end of that motion I'm never like just gonna lock my knees out and hang out here yeah you'd be surprised though some people kind of still okay. default to that it depends on yeah okay. it depends on your strategies but okay yeah I've seen a lot of I mean I just like you know I can't help myself but like no. coach when I see other people yeah videos and such, but there are a lot of people on the internet who are like, quote unquote, kettlebell experts whose knees lock out before their hips when they're doing kettlebell swing. And it just like drives me bananas. There's, you know, stuff to watch out for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There always is. I'm, I get it. I can't really watch people talk without noticing if they have like tongue ties or not. (laughs) So just always paying attention to these kinds of things when you're specializing in your area of expertise. Well, we've covered so much ground. What encouragement do you have for somebody who, I mean, like me six months ago, who's like, well, shoot, I should have been strength training this whole time. And now they're listening and realizing that what encouragement do you have? Oh man, just start. Like, I, I think hopefully some of the conversations that we had maybe will be some light bulb moments for some of you where 
you're recognizing the demands of your life and that you're already so freaking strong that like you're doing all of that every day. And how wonderful would it be to have a program that is like perfectly designed to slowly and gently get you to where you need to be in your day-to-day to just feel like your tasks are doable and manageable and just how incredibly strong and capable you are. It's just, once you go strength training, like you really just can't go back. There's something about the feeling of being strong. I don't know, maybe I'm, I just can't imagine my life without it, especially Mm -hmm. as a mom. Yeah. It's just the best thing ever. And you are so capable of feeling incredibly strong. You just need to start. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of been the recurring lesson of my life lately. It's like the only way to get where you want to go is to start. Like you're not going to immediately be patient or wise or strong or any of these things without essentially acting as if you are patient and wise and strong you know like whatever attribute it is just gotta start yeah my Instagram content was like so unrelatable it was like here is a video of my 220 pound squat (laughs) and I slowly realized that if my mission was truly to help everyone feel like they could get stronger and gain energy and it was accessible and sustainable no matter what stage of life you were in it had to be something that everyone else felt like they could do too and so shifting over to all kettlebell focused programs where it was so much easier to imagine yourself doing it Mm -hmm. like here and I and that was feedback I got too while I was sharing a lot of my postpartum journey this time around of just the slow and repetitive steps that I was taking to get back to my skills and capability. Quite a few people reached out to me and said just like how relatable it was to watch and how much more attainable it felt for them to watch it from ground zero. So I think that hopefully, you know, a lot of this conversation and seeing more of that will help you feel like no matter where you are, no matter what stories you have been told about your body, like this is totally doable for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think probably you started sharing those stories probably when I started your program. So it has been nice to watch those and realize, yeah, you don't have to be powerlifting with a weightlifting belt, like in the gym and a squat rack and just all the stuff that's so foreign to me. So before we do my final question, do you want to share though, where we can find you, where people can find all of your offerings and see some of the things that we're talking about? Yeah, totally. So I am Adina Rubin underscore on Instagram. And that's kind of like where everything lives, content there. And then in my link in bio there, you'll find my programs. So like if you hear this episode and you're inspired and you're like, I am going to sign up for strength training for happy hormones, you can do that right now. That's wide Mm -hmm. open and we are ready to accept you and love you and help you get strong. If you are very interested in my postpartum program, I can give you a link to get on the wait list for that. So I'll send that over to you. Perfect. And I wish I had a hard date for you on that launch, but things have been really crazy. So you have three kids. That is fine. Yeah. Yeah. But something that I tell people also is 
if you are postpartum right now and you want to feel strong right now, like, please don't wait for my postpartum mm-hmm. program. Just get strength training for happy hormones and mm-hmm. eat the first three weeks as many times as you need to before you feel ready to progress and load and ask any questions in the chat. Like I'll help you navigate that early postpartum if you need mm-hmm. it, but please don't wait to get strong just because my program yeah, is not out. I would agree with that. I feel like yeah. now having done it, yeah, I could have done that sooner. And then you have a podcast. Yes. The Get Your Shit Together podcast with yes. my friend, Diane. She's also an NTP, RWP, RCPC. So yeah. we have wonderful conversations there about digestive health, hormone and metabolic mm-hmm. health, strength training for women, all the good stuff. So do you have anything else you want to add before I ask my final question? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. So I like to ask guests just as we close out, closing out with something like positive and encouraging, because we are often talking about difficult subjects in my podcast episode. So I just want to ask what you're doing right right now, like with your kids, with your work-life balance, like a boundary or a routine or a habit, what's working well for you right now? Oh, okay. Well, like I said, I moved my family the million miles away from where I grew up and that was very hard, but I'm so glad that we did it. Like just living in an incredibly fun city, living on the beach, just loving what that has brought to my family Mm -hmm. and our community and everything that yeah, just those things are going really well. (laughs) Uh, I think that like we talked about with strength training and all that good stuff, being a very strong mom and showing my kids what that looks like, I think is really important. And it's been really fun to watch how much my kids value that. Mm -hmm. Like, my five-year-old, my three-year-old always telling me that they want to train with me or they want to train so they could be strong like me and (laughs) showing me how much stronger they've gotten by lifting certain things. And the playfulness with which we approach that in our home now, I'm just very excited to see what that looks like in a few years for them, where working out is never a chore, never a way that we're trying to earn our calories or whatever nonsense we grew up with just raising children with the extreme value of how wonderful and exciting it is to live in these bodies and to get them to use them every day to be strong and powerful and how much fun we can have because of how strong and capable we are I think I feel really proud of that contribution to my family and I feel like I'm just really excited to see how it unfolds (laughs) yeah I love that imaging you're so right the enthusiasm with which a little like look what I can lift up I think I'm just gonna start thinking that every time I go up and wait that's what I do yeah like I did you know I was that strong yeah tell everyone (laughs) oh we just learned so much from our kids so yeah thank you for being here today Adina I had a lot of fun talking with you and it's just it's really fun to connect after having done your program and just you know like not to be salesy but I do think it is a really worthwhile investment for postpartum moms and I'm excited for more people to to get to know that they can feel like this in their postpartum body yeah thank you so much for this conversation it was a lot of fun thanks 
Thank you so much for tuning in to Milk and Motherhood today. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to some of the things we talked about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends or leave a review to help other people find us here. As always, you can find me on Instagram at happy.mama.healthy.baby or on the internet at happymamahealthybaby.co. See you next time.